Well, today we're going to take a couple of week break from our series we've been in hashtag blessed as we are now in full swing for our global impact celebration. Uh, so you're noticing the banners are up, different things are going on. What that is for us is the signal to us that we're about to start focusing on what we're doing to partner in mission with people all around the world. So that's kind of, that's kind of the direction that we're going in. As we do that today, I want to recognize a, a friend who's with us, and he traveled the longest way to be here today from, from any of you. He had a little bit longer commute. He comes all the way from Ireland, Pastor John Kimber from the Porta Down Baptist Church. Now look, don't call him Irish. He's English. He just happens to pastor there. Pastor John, would you wave to everybody and let's make him feel welcome this morning. Thank you for being with us. <clears throat> Grateful that you're here today and to know you, brother. Uh, as we talk about global impact celebration, what does it mean to be on mission with the Lord? We're talking about today how we partner with people in the gospel. Now, that may sound like a strange expression if you haven't been around Judson during a global impact celebration, but if you have, you've probably heard us talk about levels of partnership. We have a couple of different levels of partnership, and I'll explain those a little bit later, but each year we partner with different people and ministries from all around the world to fulfill the Great Commission. The Great Commission is found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 20. I don't want you to turn there. I just want to read it just to kind of refresh our memories, and it kind of sets the agenda. But this is what Jesus said to his disciples right after his resurrection. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, there's some key phrases that we should be mindful of in that Jesus said authority had been given to him, and it was something he was transferring to his disciples. He was giving it to them to do something. He said, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, and you baptize them, and then I want you to teach them to, to understand everything I commanded you to do. So what he's saying is, I, I want you to be able to express to them what it means to live a gospel-centered life, how they can live the Christian life. So it's not just enough that we share Christ with someone, but we have to follow up with that to then invest in their lives so that they can understand how they can live for Christ. Now, we believe at Judson, the best way for us to do that in mission is three different ways. And our missions essentially exist in three different ways. One is that we plant churches. We believe that planting churches is vital all around the world because churches outlast people. You know, they, they stay. A gospel expression in a, a place that hasn't had one before is vital because that will continue on and on. The second way that we do that is through engaging people with the gospel. We call that gospel engagements here. You may have heard it termed evangelism, somewhere else. And matter of fact, we should stop for a moment and celebrate. We just passed 25,000 gospel engagements for the year. That's right. That means we're halfway to our goal of 50,000 for the year. We really want to see 50,000 people engaged with the gospel this year. So we tell them about Jesus. In fact, I don't know. How many people in here from East Tennessee? Raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. Thank you. One. The rest of y'all are just envious. I was, I was at a wedding yesterday in Chattanooga, and uh, East Tennessee people are different. We're, we're, I'm from East Tennessee. I can speak about this. We, just, we have a, a communal relationship with one another that you guys here in Middle Tennessee, y'all are kind of boring. I'll just be honest. I was at this restaurant I'd never been to before, and we told the waiter that we hadn't been to the restaurant, and as soon as he walked off, the table next to me said, first-timers, let us tell you what to get. 
and they proceeded to tell us what to get. And we engaged in about a 10-minute conversation. That didn't happen in Nashville. That's an East Tennessee thing, folks. But you know what came out of that is I was able to ask them if they had a faith background and ask them if they went to church in Chattanooga because I have a friend who pastors a church in Chattanooga and encouraged them to go. It's a gospel engagement. It's that, it's that simple, right? It's just, taking, it's just taking the opportunity. Somebody engaged me, we engaged them back in just conversation and pointed it to Christ. That's the point of the gospel engagement. So planting churches, gospel engagements all around the world, and then discipling people. That's teaching them to observe all things. So that means we don't do a lot of different kinds of trips at Judson. And there are some trips we just don't do anymore because they don't fit under those three things that we really feel like the Lord has called us to do on mission. Now the way we express that here is through a verse that Jesus gave us in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Don't turn there again. Let me just read it for you. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. Now we say it like this here. We have four teams that operate on mission locally. That's in Nashville area. Regionally within a few hours drive of Nashville. There's a national team that operates all over the country. And then we also have an ends of the earth team that goes all over the place. Uh, and that may be to go to Sudan. It may be to go to Nicaragua or Cuba. It, it, all over the place, the ends of the earth. So that's kind of how we express that as we understand Jesus told us to go in ever-widening circles from where you live. We just take the gospel from here and we take it everywhere. Now, each one of those teams has three different levels of partnership. So we have level one partners and level two and level three. A level one partner asks us to pray for them and give them financial support. They say, we need those two things from you. Level two partners ask us to pray for them, give them financial support, and send teams, send people to be there and help them, maybe with a backyard Bible club or evangelism saturation or helping them uh, you know, do all kinds of things. We, we've, gone and, we've gone and done a running camp you know, that, that helped the church uh, minister to the people that were there uh, who wanted to send their kids to, to run cross-country and track, those kinds of things. We'll do anything that lets us share the gospel with people and disciple them. Level three partnerships, we've only ever had one of these, ask us to do all of those things, but they ask us to strategize with them on how to help their ministry grow and do different things. So we don't have a level three partner right now, but we have tons of level one and two, and level two partnerships are where it's at. That's the sweet spot for our missions at Judson Baptist. And I think it's important for us to understand what's going on when we tell someone we're going to partner with them. So turn to the book of Philippians. And I want us to look this morning at what the Apostle Paul said about a relationship he had with a church at Philippi. That's why it's called the letter to the Philippians. But Paul writes this and he begins to talk about what it means to be together with them in participation, fellowship, and partnership. Now, I'm going to ask you to use your Bibles, resist the, the, the distraction of your cell phone. If you don't have a Bible, stop by the Next Step Center. We'll make sure we get you one. We'd love for you to have a free copy of the Word of God. And we'd like you to take notes with something. Write down the things that God speaks to you through the sermon so that you can go back and revisit that this week. But let's start in Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to be in verse 3 and following. Philippians 1 verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. 
For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. It's important for us to remember where the Apostle Paul was when he wrote this letter. Verse 7 gives us the clue when he says imprisonment. This is one of those letters. An epistle is called, that's, it just means letter. And this is one of those that's called a prison epistle because he's writing it from a place that is going to be his final spot. Paul's never going to get out of prison. And he's actually going to end up being killed. And, and he won't leave again. He's never going to be a free man again. And as he's writing this... He's talking about some things that are confirming the gospel in a relationship he had with a church in Philippi. And these folks were more than just acquaintances to the Apostle Paul. And he was more than just an acquaintance to them. They really treated him like family. They took ownership of his life and his ministry and believed that he was very important to them because of what he was doing. Even in prison, we find out in chapter 2, he says, look, don't worry about me, or maybe it's later in chapter 1, he says, don't worry about me being in prison I've been able to share with everybody. All the guards that come in and they take care of me, they were called the Praetorian Guard. He says, I'm sharing with all of those people. I'm still on point. I'm still on mission. Now, let me ask you this. How easily are you distracted from mission? I'm pretty, pretty easily distracted. Bad day, distracted from mission. Right? Don't feel good, distracted from mission. Worried about something, distracted from mission. He wasn't. He's on mission wherever he's at, and these people have an understanding with him that brings them into partnership and understand what happens. As he begins writing this letter, gratefulness and joy start to come out. Look at verse 3 again. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. That shows you that effective side that he had in this relationship with these people. There was something about the church at Philippi that whenever Paul thought about them, he says that he was thanking God for them and that he was joyful as he thought about them. They, they had moved him in such a way and ministered to him in such a way and partnered with him in such a way that he couldn't help but pray for them and about them and joy just come out in his life. God had done something in this partnership because it was something more than just an acquaintance. And I want to just say this about our mission partners. Our mission partners should never feel like coming back to Judson is an inconvenience. They should never feel like, uh, you know, they have an apprehensive spirit in them about a team from Judson coming. They should never feel like they don't have support from us. They should never have to wonder about that. When they show up, we want you to know them. We want them to realize that they are loved and that they're valued and we care for them, we pray for them, we support them, and that we're interested in them. And those things aren't just sentiments. They're action words for us. They require some action for us. They're action-oriented. When we do those things, our partners definitely end up with thanksgiving every time they think about us. And here's what we want to have happen with a global focus partner. When a missionary comes back to partner with us for the gospel, what we want to have happen is that when they lay their heads down at night, they know that there's a church in Nashville, Tennessee that stands behind them, beside them, in front of them when necessary, and will partner with them to make sure that the gospel is being proclaimed everywhere. Now, this developed between the Apostle Paul and the church at Philippi as a relationship through something that they had in common. And the thing that they had in common was the gospel. 
The gospel is the thing that we hold in common with all believers. And I want to just tell you what the gospel is. If you've never heard somebody say what the gospel is, you've heard good news or what does it mean to be saved, the gospel is simply this. The Bible tells us that all of us were on a path to hell. That's where we wanted to be. That's the direction our life was set. We didn't want anything to do with God. We were, in fact, enemies of God. And God saw that, and instead of being angry with us, sent Jesus Christ to die in our place. That's the good news. And the fact is, not one of us ever has to die separated from Jesus Christ. We don't have to be enemies of the Father. We can be called sons and daughters of the King. If we would repent of our sins and believe that Jesus died on the cross in our place and that he was buried and rose again. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And we want to make sure that every person around the world has an opportunity to hear the gospel. You know, if it's the first time you've ever heard the gospel today, you could give your life to Christ today and be changed by the power of the gospel. The gospel is what's uniting us with these mission partners. It's what's driving the mission forward. It clarifies the mission for us. And it certainly did in the case of the Apostle Paul. And I want you to see how it drove it with the church at Philippi and the Apostle Paul. Look at verse 5. He says, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. He was joyful for them because they had been participating with him from the very beginning until the present time. Now, when we think about participation, we have a little bit of a hang-up with this word because when I think about participation, that word's been skewed in America to mean show up, play a sport that you're not very good at, and get a trophy just for breathing air. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about having some idea that we kind of just went to the church so we participated with the mission partners. That's not it. Our theme this year is your mission if you choose to accept it. Greg Pruitt's going to be here preaching a sermon on the 23rd, and he's going to ask us if we're willing to accept the mission. That's the title of his message, is your mission. And we have to understand, this is not something that we just show up, sit here, smile, say an amen, go home, and everything is good. That's not what he's talking about. The word that he uses there could also be translated as fellowship. Now that, again, makes it a little bit difficult for us if we're Baptists to understand that word because we think fellowship is covered dish. It's not covered dish. That, that, that's a limited understanding. It certainly is that we're going to hang out and, and, and enjoy one another and fellowship in that way, but I want you to think about fellowship like this. Fellowship is when you are in close association, when you're sharing something together. One scholar explained it like this, and I quote, when the Bible uses the word fellowship... It means being caught up into a communion created by God. It's a calling that brings us together with these partners where we're taking ownership of their lives and they're taking ownership of our lives so that we can further the gospel together because we realize that together we're accomplishing more than we could on our own. So the relationship the apostles describe, it isn't some kind of hangout time. It's built on sharing something together. And they were sharing in the work of the gospel, sharing in the ministry of the gospel. And they were dependent on one another so the mission could be accomplished. We notice something else from verse 5. This church was faithful to their partnership. He said, you guys were great from the first day. From the very first day, even until now. When they first met him, he was a guy who was traveling the world, planting churches, starting churches, encouraging churches, sharing the gospel all over the place. And now he's in prison where he's never going to be released. And he says, even now you've been faithful. In fact, if we were to turn over into chapter four of this book, he says to them, thank you for your gift that you sent me. Now I've learned to be content, he says, 
whether I'm getting things or not, I've learned that God will supply all of my needs, and he did so through you. Praise the Lord for it. Thank you for doing that in my life. They were taking care of him even then. We partner with someone. We're agreeing to participate or fellowship with them in the gospel. What we're saying is, more than we're just glad that they're serving the Lord, what we're saying is that the mission that they are on and we are joining with them is vital. We're basically entering into a bonded agreement with a missionary or ministry that recognizes God's work in their lives and allows us to join together with them to see the gospel broadcast all around the world. Now, if you think about what we're sharing in for a second, the gospel, there's an enormous weight of responsibility that comes with that, isn't it? This isn't some kind of haphazard thing just to be flipping about. Because what hangs in the balance for people is eternity. If we take the Great Commission seriously, we begin to realize that all of our life's work centers around this command that Jesus gave to his disciples to go and make disciples. And our mission partners are going to places in cultures that we may not understand, that we may not be familiar with, And they're broadcasting the gospel and setting up gospel outposts there in places that I can't get to sometimes. It's more than that. I want you to think about our church planters for a minute. We have three church planters just in the United States that we work with. One in Portland. One in South Carolina in Blue Ridge. And we have one in Maryland. They started with nothing. Now, you think about what has to happen. They went to a place, for instance, our our church in Portland that we're working with, they're not from that area. They moved to Las Vegas, Nevada to take a church planting internship that led them to Portland, Oregon. They they don't have any family there. They started with nothing. And they're trying to set up a gospel outpost so that people in the Northwest can know the Lord Jesus Christ. So that a faithful gospel expression will be there. A church for people to come to. Now you look around this room for a second. Would you do that? I mean, let your eyes go around the room. Do you take for granted that we have a screen? Do you take for granted that words magically appear? Do you take for granted that we have music stands and speakers and pews and seminary-trained pastors and life group leaders? And and do you take for granted that we have buildings and, and we have all this stuff? How do you think all that got here? I'll tell you how it got here. It was really simple. It took 107 years for it to get here. This took 107 years. It didn't happen overnight. We're literally standing on the shoulders of thousands of people who came before us. Thousands of people who decided that in South Nashville a church needed to exist so that a faithful gospel expression could be here. And when we walk in, we take it for granted, don't we, that the, the air conditioning's on and, and somebody made coffee and all this kind of stuff. They don't have any of that. Think about what it would be like if all of this went away tomorrow and we had to have church. And we, we sent out a little email and said, well, we're going to have church and we're going to be in a park. We need to scrape together some stuff from our houses and just bring it there. And, and the best we could do, we don't have a sound system We have a karaoke machine. And we don't have somebody leading worship. You're stuck with me. Let me tell you something. It's a sad day. You don't want it to happen. You don't want to be there. And we don't have words on a screen. We have a sheet hanging up. 
and somebody brought one of their little projectors from home and we had to borrow your laptop and the program doesn't quite run well on your laptop because it's, it's an older laptop and then we just overloaded it with new software and it's glitchy and, you know. That's what happens every Sunday in our three church plants. That's why, by the way, that we put on that big board out there that they need things like computers and software and cameras. And that's why we do that. That's why we do the night of giving. That's why we engage with them. We want to take care of them. We want to give them VBS materials and show up with a team to run VBS for the week or lead a backyard Bible club because we want a gospel outpost established. Eternity is literally hanging in the balance for people. If we give our best, some little boy and some little girl is going to find out that Jesus loves them. Some mom is going to find out in Sudan that she's valuable to the king of kings. Some dad is going to find out that he can love his wife and his children the way that he's supposed to because God has loved us first. But if we don't do that, if we kind of just American participation, you know, show up, big deal, it runs on its own, no big deal. Eternity also hangs in the balance there too. Someone's not going to find out that Jesus loves them. Someone's not going to find out they're valuable to the king of kings. Someone's not going to find out how to be a man of God who can raise his children and love his wife. So we want to show our partners that they're loved and valued. When you're on the team, people know you by name, right? And so when you leave today, we're going to give you a global focus booklet. We do that every year, and we don't do it just to have something extra to do, it takes the staff an enormous amount of time to put that, put that thing together. It costs a lot of money to get it printed. It's a beautiful piece that they work on. Why do we give that to you? Because we expect that you're going to take that and you're going to go home and with your, your, your daily prayer that you're offering for Global Focus right now, that you're going to memorize those people's names. And when you see Greg and Ellen show up, you're going to go, Greg, Ellen, glad to have you back. And they're going to go, wow, how do they know me? You're going to say, we're so glad that you, you could make it back. Hey, Bob, glad you could make it back this year. So glad to have you back. Glad, to, glad that you're on the team. Glad that you're part of what God is doing. Glad that we could partner with you. Take that book and study it. Pray over it. Get to know what the mission is. Understand that we have a mission to accept that God has given it to us. This is all part of engaging our partners. Now, we, we do something else with this. We ask you to give. We ask you to give these little things to our partners that have nothing to do with their ministry. The big board items, the computers, all that, that all has to do with their ministry. But we ask you to give them things that they need, just, just things that they ask for. You know, it was a couple of years ago that we had one of our ministry partners said, we don't have any children's books. Could you just get us some children's books? I'm spoiled, right? I, I've had Dolly send children's books to my house forever, right? It's a pretty nice thing, isn't it, to have children's books. If you're not aware of that, when you get kids, you can sign up for this thing, the Imagination, I think it's the Imagination Library, and she sends these books, and that's great. They needed children's books. You know the one that got me, though? I'll tell you the one that got me, the gift. It wasn't a big gift. One of our mission partners one time asked for a pair of shoes, walking shoes, because where they live, they have to walk a long way. There's not a lot of personal transportation. And this lady asked for a pair of shoes, and she must have given the size and maybe even the color that she wanted, I guess. 
And when she opened that box up here and opened the pair of shoes, she began to weep. And when was the last time you wept over a pair of shoes? What do you think that must have meant to our partner to know that you cared enough to bring them a pair of shoes? The only thing I could think of is how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel. See, that's what it's about. It's about engaging them and knowing them. And we ask you to engage them in a different way too. We ask you to engage them by knowing them and showing up and giving one of the most valuable things that you have and it's your greatest commodity and that's your time. Now, I don't ever harp on Wednesday night and Sunday night and who comes and who doesn't come. I have never told you that you must come on Sunday night, you must come on Wednesday night. I am now telling you, you must come on Wednesday night. And you must come on Sunday night. Wednesday night, the 19th. Can I tell you why you need to be here? That night, we don't have Awana. We don't have student ministry. We all gather together in here. And our partners are going to come in. And it's going to be like a party atmosphere in here. There's going to be foam LED sticks and beach balls. Senior adults, watch out for the beach balls sometimes. They're coming around, you know. And it gets pretty exciting in here. And we want to let them know how valuable they are that night. And that sets the tone for us. We welcome them Wednesday night, September the 19th. Then because you guys are in the second service, you're going to come back on Friday night, September the 21st. And you're going to engage with our partners. You're going to be in a, a classroom and our partners are going to come to you. And they're just going to give you 15 minutes of their time. It's one hour. By the way, that Wednesday night, it's one hour. One hour. We want you to be here that Friday night. You're going to hear from four of our partners. That way you'll know how to pray for them. When we say pray for Greg and Ellen, you'll know who Greg and Ellen are. God may just stir in your heart for you to go be part of what they're doing. And then we ask you to be back on Sunday night, September 23rd. If you've never seen the night of giving to the partners, you do not want to miss it. It's phenomenal. It will bless your life. I realize that everybody has to work. I realize that everybody has ball. I realize that everybody has a thousand things that need to be done at their house. But you know what? This one week out of the year, I'm asking you to do more than just get the participation award. I'm asking you to partner with these people and show up and be ready for God to do something. But when we engage in a mission like this, something else happens in our lives. It's not just for them. Something happens in our lives. Look at verse 6. The apostle said, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul had confidence of God's work in the Philippian church because of the partnership. He saw what God was doing and reminded them, God started the work. God would perfect the work. And one day God would complete the work. Either when he called them home or Jesus Christ came back. Sometimes I find myself lacking confidence about God's work in my life. You ever feel that way? Just wonder about what God's doing. Sometimes it's because I'm praying about something and asking God to to show me an answer, show me a way, and it's just cloudy. It's not making sense, and I just wonder, God, I mean, are you, 
Are you still working? What, what am I doing? Am I missing this? What, what are we waiting on, you know? God, what's going on here? Or maybe it's because you're struggling with sin in your life and you just feel like, man, could God really love me if I keep sinning? And we know the answer is yes, but it doesn't feel that way sometimes. And we wonder if he can really perfect his work in our lives. Let me tell you what will happen if you participate in the mission. When you engage the partnerships, one of the things that you find out is that this big God that we serve is working all around the world. And he doesn't ask what Fox News or CNN says about it. He doesn't take his talking points from that. He doesn't get worried about it because he still has this whole world in his hands. And as you hear about people's lives being changed all around the world, it reminds you that the big God who's doing all of those things began a work in you. It was his work. God started the work in my life and in your life. And as he does that, he is faithful to complete it. We just join him in it. But it gives us confidence because God's working and allows us to see that as he accomplishes that mission, we're part of something really, really special. Over the next three weeks, you have to make a decision. The next three Sundays, the challenge is before us as a church. And by doing that, I'm saying the challenge is before you as an individual who comes to this church. The mission is clear. Go make disciples all over the world. Teach them to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all things I've commanded you. Start at home, Jerusalem. Go to Judea. Go to Samaria. Go to the uttermost parts of the world or the ends of the earth, he says. That's the mission. The question is, what are you going to do about it? The mission is there, but will you accept it? And we have a choice. You don't have to accept it. You can sit back and say, well, that's for other people. It doesn't really concern me. I'm not that interested. But that's the mission, folks. That's why we're here. That's why we exist as a church. And so I want to do something right now. As we kind of kick off this season, I want to ask you to bow your heads for a moment. And I want to put the question before you. That's the mission. Are you willing to accept it? Are you willing to do what it takes to partner with these people? To hold something in common with them? And be part of their story so that the gospel can go all around the world? Father, there's some of us in here this morning who we're not sure we can accept the mission. We don't even know how we could do it starting in the place where we're at. We're unsure of our abilities. Father, I pray that what the Apostle Paul said about that church in Philippi would be true of our church, that we could be confident this morning that you began a good work in us and you're going to be faithful to complete it. Father, I pray that this church would accept the mission again this year. Every year we renew that call. Every year we come back and say, we are ready we want to do this. We're ready to, to enter into this agreement, this bonded agreement with 
mission agencies and people who are counting on us, Lord. And we know that we have a fellowship in that and that we get benefit out of that, Lord, and that we're pushing the Great Commission forward because of it. Father, I pray that in our hearts individually you would stir us, give us passion for seeing the lost saved. Give us opportunities even this week in our Jerusalem, Nashville, Tennessee, to engage people with the gospel. Father, remind us that eternity hangs in the balance. And there is no more important thing that we could do this week than to share Jesus with someone. Give us favor and opportunities in Jesus' name, amen.